be seated. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. I'm grateful that you're here today and hope you had a great weekend. I want to uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. That's where we're going to be together in just a few minutes. <clears throat> today we continue in our Life Together series uh, in just a minute. We have two weeks in this series that are remaining uh, today and next week. And I want you to be sure and make plans to be here next week as uh, Stuart McGregor will preach the final sermon in this Series. I will be with our youth group at Soul Link that Chris talked about a little while ago down in Houston and, and uh, also have the privilege of getting to teach a class uh, while we're there next weekend. And so looking forward to being a part of that uh, with our students and the adults that are going to Soul Link. Um, I want to just make a quick announcement. It's really two things. Chris mentioned the Mexico deadline that's today. We have a couple of other deadlines that are happening today. Uh, the first one is that if you, we've over the last six weeks or so we've been collecting stewardship cards and those cards help us uh, create our budget for our, our our fiscal year and so if you have not turned in a, a stewardship card yet today is the last day to do that and uh, the reason that that's important is because the total from those cards is how we set our budget so uh, it's important that we know what you're going to give and and how much you'll be able to give so that we can total those cards and, and our ministry leaders and deacons can work uh, to, to figure that out. When I turn it on, guys, it does that, and when I turn it off, it goes away. So I don't know. Y'all tell me what I need to do. The second announcement I want to make really quickly is that uh, our life group sign-up process has been underway as a part of this series, um, and we are in the process of relaunching small groups here and it, we want to encourage those of you who are ready uh, to be a part of a small group or considering that. We're not putting you in a small group. We're just trying to gauge uh, the interest level and how many groups. We want to make sure we have enough groups for people who are interested. So you can go back to the uh, Connections booth in the foyer. You can go to this website uh, and it's, or through our website. You can go there to that link and you can sign up. Uh, today is also the final Sunday to do that before we begin preparing the next steps um, to, to be to launch those small groups. Uh, I'm going to pray for our time together in God's word before we read from James chapter 5. And so if you would bow with me, uh, let's pray and then we'll start. Father, we, we pray that you will listen to us as we speak <clears throat> this morning, as we share the things that are on our hearts. I pray that the words that I'll speak, Father, this morning will stir our hearts to think about the gift of prayer and the communication that we have the privilege of having with you, the creator of the world. Uh, what a humbling thing that we take for granted often, I, I tend to believe, and I think that we maybe forget uh, that we have access to the throne of God through this avenue of communication with you. We're grateful for that. And today, God, we pray as we look at prayer and think about prayer that you will uh, stir up in us an uh, increased awareness and um, understanding of the importance of praying for one another. Uh, I pray that you will allow the words that I speak this morning to open our ears and so that we might receive 
what you want to say and that you'll open our hearts that we might hear uh, completely the message that you want. I pray that the words that I speak that need to stick on our hearts will, will do so and those that don't will fall away. We pray through the name of Jesus. Amen. James chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 13 uh, that will go to just about the end of that chapter. James writes these words, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to be the body of Christ. And we've studied a number of one another passages in the New Testament and how each of those one another passages really is a practical way to think about how we show our love for each other. And today, as we think about our life together, we want to, I want to talk about the practice of prayer and specifically of praying for one another. Now, as we begin, I think it's a good time to remind you, it's only sort of connected to what I'm going to talk about, that James wrote these words that we just read. And James is the brother of Jesus. And anytime I go to the book of James and consider something that James is going to say, I just want, I think it's important to acknowledge that he's the brother of Jesus. So this is going to be a little bit of a crowd participation part of our sermon here this morning. Just so we can get a sense of just how miraculous every word that James writes in Scripture is, okay? If you have a brother, just raise your hand. Raise it high so everybody in the room can see it. Now, I want you to keep it up for just a second. James is the author of this book. James is the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, if, that's a lot of brothers, right? We all agree about that. If, I just want you to take your hand down if, no, 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 don't take it down yet, leave it up. Take your hand down if you would find it hard for your brother to be the son of God. We got a, we got a couple of people who still, take your hand down. You, you, think, you, you think it's, if you, if you have a hard time thinking that, that your brother could be the son of God, your hand should not be up. Okay, so we got a few people who think their brother could be the son of God which is a remarkable thing, right? If, if, if I don't have a brother, but if I did, I'm certain that I would not think that he could be the son of God. And I just think it's important that anytime we go to the book of James, that we remember that James believed that his brother, Jesus, was the son of God. And if that in and of itself isn't enough to convince the world that Jesus was who he said that he was, I don't know what else possibly anybody could do to convince them. James believed it, and so I, I want to believe it too. I believe it too, right? And so before we say anything else, we need to quite say that quite possibly the strongest witness for prayer is that the brother of Jesus believed that, as he said, prayer is powerful and effective. It's baffling to me every time I think about this fact. Now, back to James chapter 5. The theme of this short section of scripture 
is prayer. There's a lot of different types of prayer that are mentioned, and we are not going to cover all of them today. Individual prayer, the prayer of the elders, righteous prayer. But for our focus today in verse 16, we're going to talk about and think about together prayers that are offered for one another. Verse 16 again says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, what James is talking about, I want you to understand, is that it's, it's not confession and prayer like we might normally think about confession and prayer. He's talking about prayer that grows out of, confession that grows out of a church that is living their life together. We often think of, I would guess, many of us, we think of confession as maybe something like someone coming down front to the church at the end of the sermon, right? Someone has something really big to share, and so they're going to come and confess that to the church. But that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about confession that is done in the context of community, in the context of relationships that we share with each other. And so it's important that we know that, that that's what he's talking about so that we understand and we have a clear definition of the kind of thing that he's expecting us to do. Confession, you might say, just to simplify it, is saying out loud what is on your heart. That, that's what confession is. Not, it's not, it doesn't have to be a huge thing even, right? But sometimes there are things that are going on in our hearts that never make it out of our mouths. And Scripture is clear that, that it's important, that there's actually a spiritual act that's being performed when we speak words that, that come off of our lips that have been sitting on our hearts maybe for Days, weeks, months, years. That's, that's what James is talking about. Confession that grows out of the context of relationship that people are living together. And I want us to think about confession more like this and less like coming down front after the sermon. Less like having to share some big, huge thing, thing right? Do you have doubts? Have you had questions, fear, anger? Have you wrestled with an inability to forgive someone? Have you been hurt by someone? Have you hurt someone else? Are you struggling in some way? Do you have regrets or disappointments? Like, the message of Scripture is that if your answer to any of those questions is yes, then it's okay. Because if you, if you know that you have those things, you know what it means? If you, if, you've, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you know what it means? It means that you're normal. And a lot of times what we do is we walk around wondering if I'm, if I'm the only one struggling with this thing or dealing with this thing because we never talk about it. We never say it out loud. Confession is saying out loud what is going on in your heart. When we're honest about our struggles, about our weaknesses, about our flaws, about our imperfections, and practice the sharing of that in our community, People are drawn together. This is what Scripture teaches about this practice. People will be drawn together as we participate in this practice. James mentions that healing takes place when these practices are used. And I think he's right. But it may not be the kind of healing that you and I tend to think about when we think about healing. We often associate healing with mostly physical disease, physical illness. And it may be more than just your physical ailment or someone else's physical ailment. It may be the more needed healing, quite honestly, of your heart and of mine. 
And what happens as we confess to one another and as we pray for each other, James says healing will take place in our hearts and in our lives and maybe even in our physical bodies. When we pray for one another and share, James says we will be healed. Now, I've never shared this publicly that I know of, but a couple of years ago, I was, I was going through a really low point in my life. Who does the preacher go to when he's going through a low point in his life? Well, I, I found a spiritual director, and my spiritual director's name is Mike. Mike is a mid-60s-year-old Episcopal minister, and we would visit once every week or two over a period of about two years, and he became a dear friend of mine. And one time when we were talking, Mike said to me, he said, you know, Doug, people often think of themselves as trash compactors. Like, people don't really have these that I know of. I've been to a number of your homes, and maybe, you, maybe I've missed it, but I don't see these very often anymore. But you remember these, right? Some of you might have one, but, but most people don't, right? You put the trash in, you push the button, and everything kind of just gets smashed down, like, like what happens actually in a trash truck. And, and he, Mike said to me that this is the way people tend to think about themselves. This was fascinating to me because it was true. That when something happens to us, we deal with it internally. And then something else happens to it, and we stack that thing on top of the thing that happened before, and we just push it down a little further to make room for whatever's coming next because we know something's coming. We bury it deep down in our hearts. So what happens is that here we are, all these Christian people that are carrying around all of this trash, this junk, this garbage in their body that is buried, thinking all along that they've dealt with it when they really haven't. That just because they pushed the button and it got compacted down into a smaller size that somehow it was dealt with, maybe they were strong enough and equipped enough to handle it. But while we fool ourselves into thinking that we're strong enough and equipped enough to handle it, here's what I'm convinced happens. We make ourselves sick. And it may not be physically sick, though it might be, but spiritually sick, certainly. And you know what I'm talking about. The worry, the doubt, the questions, the fears, the mistakes from your past that you might have made in life. And the enemy convinces you and me, don't you dare tell anyone that thing. And it may not even be a big, what you or I would consider to be a big thing, but it's, it's something that happened in your life that gets buried, right? And then a small thing and another small thing and another small thing becomes a big thing. And so we keep it to ourselves. We push it down and down and down. But this is not how God designed us to be. You are not a trash compactor. You are a human being made in the image of God. And confession is the practice of removing the junk that does not need to be buried in us so that it can get out of us so that we can be healed. And this is why James says what he says. There's an actual spiritual work 
that is happening as you talk about what's going on in your heart. And confession and prayer are so closely linked that the very next thing he says is, and as you pray with and for people, as those things come off of our hearts. And it happens best when people are living in community where things can be shared with confidentiality and trust, where things can be received from others with care, where prayers can be offered and support can be given. But James isn't the only New Testament writer that talks about praying for one another. Paul writes about it too. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. These words from Paul come right after one of my, you know, probably many of you know, my favorite chapters, maybe in the whole Bible, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's really become that over the last several years as we studied that together. He says these words right around the time where he's talking to the church in Ephesus about the spiritual battle that we are engaged in with the enemy. And he says that he wants them and he wants us to be prepared for the battle against the enemy by putting on the armor of God. with things like truth and righteousness and peace and salvation, tools that equip us, that prepare us for the battle that is happening against the enemy and prepare us and equip us to take our stand against the devil's schemes and plans. And then after he lists all of these things, he adds prayer, praying in the Spirit on all occasions to the list. Prayer, I believe, is the final weapon that we have been armed with as followers of Jesus Christ for battle against the enemy. Here's how Eugene Peterson says this exact phrase in his translation to paraphrase the message. He says, in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. We are in a battle. And prayer is the most important weapon we have in that battle. And what we know is, is as human beings, we are capable of so much. We have put a man on the moon for crying out loud, right? And so what we think is, well, we're capable of a lot of things, right? I'm a human being. I got this. And we convince ourselves that we can handle things on our own. And the reality is the one thing that we cannot hand handle on our own is a battle against the enemy. And so we have been equipped with the tools and the resources that we need to be prepared for that battle. And while human potential is a remarkable thing, it can also work against us to puff us up and make us think that in this battle against the enemy that we can do it without God's help. And we know that that is not the case. We need prayer. We need each other. I heard it. I've heard it said this way before, shared this way before. When we work, we work. And when we pray, God works. And I think it's a really simple and helpful way to think about what's happening when we pray. My tendency, and maybe yours too, can often be to default to working myself first to fix a problem. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we work on a problem, we are working on that problem. And there may be a way that God uses the work and effort that you give to help with the solution toward that problem. But when we pray about that, 
God is going to work. And those are very different approaches. Those are very different options. But they are both options that we have available to us. And I'll be the first to say, and I want to be honest, that I have a lot of questions about prayer myself. I don't understand everything about it because, quite honestly, there's a lot that is simply mysterious about prayer. And it's hard to understand. But what I believe with all my heart is that when we pray, God works. When we pray, God works. God may not work in the way that we expected, and often God does not. But there will be work taking place to be sure. One reason I think it's important that we notice that we are to pray for one another is because we can tend to be selfish, right? We can easily get in the habit of sort of praying in a circle. Many of our prayers tend to be a list of things we want God to do for us. Heal this, fix this, repair this, answer this. But praying for one another takes us out of the center of that equation. When we're brave enough to lift our eyes from our own lives, we will see God work in us, Scripture says, and in the one for whom we have prayed. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. For the tool of prayer to be effective, though, it must be used. If I have a tool and I never use it, and it sits in the shed or sits in the storage container that it's in, and it never gets pulled out and used for the purpose that it's designed for, then it's it's ineffective, it's worthless, we might as well not even have the tool. And someone might say, but Doug, I don't know what to say, and I think that's a fair response. And I think there are other places in Scripture we could go that we don't have time to go to this morning, but we need to remember that the words that we say have never really been the, the most important piece of praying. It's the fact that we are doing it that is important. I think about parents who have small children who are learning to speak. And, and we've all experienced this, right? That, that there's, a, there's a parent who's able to listen to their child communicate. They're two, three, whatever, however old they are, and they're, and they're still they're figuring out words. They mispronounce a word. And what, what, do we, what, do we, what do we do whenever they do that? We're like, well, you, you dumb child. You you shouldn't mispronounce that word. You're two years old. Is that what we do? Of course not. We're we're glad that they're learning to talk. They're communicating, right? The other thing about this is that when your children learn to speak, I I think it's fascinating, and there's a huge spiritual application, I think, in this and how we think about our communication with God. Your child could speak at a young age, and I I couldn't understand it, right? You've experienced this before. You, you, you hear a child speak, and you're like, what did they say? And then the mom or the dad walks up, and the grandparent walks up, and they, they tell you what the child said. Because they understood the language that that child spoke because they've spent time with that child. But for you, it was indiscernible. It was un, you, couldn't, you couldn't understand what they were trying to communicate. I, I think this is a really helpful way to think about what's happening as we communicate with God. That the words we speak are less important than the fact that we are speaking. That we are praying. I I can't imagine God listening to our prayers, criticizing and ridiculing our attempts at speech. I think what God does is he looks at our attempts at prayer and, and is grateful. 
that we're attempting to communicate, to share the things that are on our hearts and have them come out of our mouths. For the tool of prayer to be effective, it must be used. We learn to pray by praying. We learn to pray by participating in prayer. Practicing prayer is the way that we learn to pray. You know, my, my family has been in Kaufman, uh, it'll be nine years this summer, which is hard to believe. And when I first came here uh, in an early sermon that very few of you will probably remember, if any, uh, I told a story about a friend of mine, a college roommate, actually. After we graduated from college, he was, uh, was kind of trying to find his, his path, his next steps, what he was going to do. And he had been away from church for a while, and, uh, and he, he decided to go back to a church that he visited. And I asked him, I, I said, I said, Cody, how was, how, how was it? You know, and how, how's the, we had been in communication. And when I asked him about this church, he, he said, Doug, and this, this, this blew me away. He said, Doug, it's the coolest thing. He said, this church, they talk about Jesus in the hallways. They talk about Jesus in the hallways. And what he meant by that, as we continued to talk, was that they didn't just leave all the Jesus talk to the worship gathering. And I, and I said it almost nine years ago, and I want to say it again, that I, I want us to be, and we have, we have become, I think in many ways, a church that talks about Jesus in the hallways. And I think we have become that, and we can always get better at that. And that happens, I think, a part of how that happens is that we take this command in Scripture seriously, and we pray for one another. One of my favorite things to see happening is groups of people praying for each other at a time when we're not supposed to be praying, right? So the prayers are not only designated for the opening prayer and the prayer before the sermon, prayer before communion, and the closing shepherd's prayer, that prayer can happen Anytime we're here on a Sunday morning, in the foyer, in the aisles, in a ga- you know, smaller pocket of people that are gathered around, on a you know, Tuesday morning, on a Thursday afternoon, on a Saturday night, whatever it is, and that we're communicating in language that helps each other move forward in the direction of Jesus. And so practically, I want to leave, leave us with a couple of things. Here's what I want us to do. Here's, here's a challenge that I want to offer you. I I would love for us to completely remove the language from our vocabulary of, I will pray for you. Now, that seems really odd that I say that after I've just told this, preached this whole sermon about praying for each other. Here's why I would love to see us remove that language from our vocabulary. Because I I would love for us to replace that language with something else. When it comes to prayer, what I would love to see us do is, instead of saying, I will pray for you, I would like it. And doing it later, or if we're honest, maybe forgetting, right? Changing that language to say, can I pray for you now? There's a difference. I will pray for you, maybe doing it, maybe forgetting, to can I pray for you now? And we won't do this perfectly, but I want to challenge us to start. Because I believe when it comes to prayer, for us to actually create the kind of culture that I think all of us are after is that some of, we, have to, we have to take some steps in the direction that we want to go. Someone has to go first, and then second, and third, and then fourth. It's one small change, but what if we said less of, 
I will pray for you, and more of, can I pray with you now about that instead? I think we would be amazed to see how much God changes us as we make that shift, that small shift in our practice. I believe the culture would change here, where Jesus is increasingly talked about in the hallways So next week, I told you that Stuart is preaching the last sermon in this series, but as he and I were talking about which, which one another passages we were going to do, and I knew that he, he didn't pick praying for one another. I knew I wanted it to be last, the last sermon that I, that I preached in this series, and he'll wrap it up next week. But one of my desires is that I wanted to spend some time thinking practically about, about this practice, because to me, honestly, this is maybe one of the most important components of why we want to we launch small groups because there's no way that every need can be talked about and prayed about and, and addressed and concern can be shared in this gathering. If this is all we're leaving it up to, it can't happen exclusively here. We need other gatherings where this is space can be created in order for that to happen, where things can be shared that are on our hearts and that can come out of our mouths in the company of people that we trust and that, they will, that we know will receive it with care. And one of my desires is that I, I want to make faith possible for my kids and their generation. And I know that's something that those of you who are my age or older want too. That want, long after we're gone, we want the generations in our families to still be walking with Jesus Christ. And I think the questions, right, that we have to consider, we have to realize is, our children and grandchildren are watching us. Do we believe all of this? Do we really believe it? I mean, do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and that by his wounds we have been healed? And by his blood we have access to the most holy place, the throne room of God Almighty, the King of kings the Lord of lords, the most high God, that through the spirit that is in us and through the avenue of prayer, we get to talk to the creator of the world. Do we believe that? And if you do, the one simple way that you can communicate your belief in that is by practicing prayer, by praying for one another. And I want to just... I want to just affirm that I think this is already happening. So what I hope you hear me saying this morning is that it's already happening and that what I want us to do is to kind of just commit to kind of re-up and con continue in this way and grow in it in as much as we need to grow. I know it's happening here because a couple of weeks ago, a group of us, and this happens, I know, regularly, not just in my life, but with many of you, but a group of us, an experience that I was a part of, of a few weeks ago, a group of us uh, went over to Forney to pray with Steve and Natasha Cox and to write scripture on the walls uh, of their new Buttermilk Sky pie shop that they have just recently opened, which, shameless plug, you need to go support. But after, after we... Uh, we had gone to, their, to this new space when it was still under construction, and we gathered uh, and wrote scripture on their walls, and after we had done that, we gathered to pray. 
And several, and then something happened that night that has continued to stick with me. Several adults offered to pray. We prayed for the staff. We prayed for the customers that would come in. We prayed for the Coxes and their business partners. Uh, and Mark Pratt was going to wrap up this time of prayer. Uh, and he said, you know, he so several people had prayed. It was kind of a chain prayer. He several people had prayed, and he said, you know, after the last person prays, I'll wait for a little while and. And after, you know, if, there, if nobody else prays, then I'll just, I'll conclude the prayer, right? This is a prayer kind of like many, maybe many of us have been a part of before. So several people pray. The last person prays. There's a long kind of, uh, you know, 20 seconds of silence. Mark decides to wrap up the prayer. And so that's what happened. You know, everybody prayed, and then Mark wraps it up. And after he finishes the prayer, I look over at Olivia, and she's making this face which I quickly determine is the face that tells me she is bummed because uh, she didn't jump in quick enough to pray after between the last person and when Mark wrapped it up. She didn't know how long that gap was going to be, but she didn't react quickly enough before Mark concluded the prayer. So we, we asked Olivia, or I asked Olivia, I think, do, you know, Olivia, did you want to pray? And she sort of sheepishly said, yes. And it hit me in that moment, which I didn't tell anybody else later, but it hit me in that moment. This wasn't just an exercise for her. That we had communicated to her, our second grader, that we were going to go pray for the Coxes with some other people from church. And she wanted to pray. Right? It wasn't just, the, it wasn't a formality. It was an actual, you know, she was something she was participating in. And because she's being raised by a church, and I use that language on purpose, because that's what we're doing as we help each other raise our kids. She's being raised by a church that practices this. She did pray. And she worded this sweet little prayer to finish off the night. And so I, I use that story to close because I want to say again that, church, this isn't just some good idea we find in Scripture, which I think it's easy to read James chapter 5 or Ephesians chapter 6 and think, well, those are, those are, you know what? James is right, and Paul's right too, and we should pray for each other. To me, this is not just one of those times where we look at this passage and we say, that's a good idea, James. That's a good idea, Paul. This is one of those times that I think we have to evaluate. This, to me, this is a let's do this better passage. I hear you, James. I hear you, Paul. Let's together as a church do this better. What would better look like? Better would look like let's confess. Let's say out loud what is on our hearts. Let's change our language from I will pray for that to can I pray for you now. Let's practice praying for one another. Because we believe that prayer is the greatest weapon that we have against the enemy. Doing better would be practicing praying for one another because we believe that God works when we pray. Which is very different than we work when we work. Let's practice praying for one another because a generation is watching us and wondering, do they really believe this? Or are they going through the motions? When we work, we work. And when we pray, God works. Amen? Come, Lord Jesus, and work. And the church said, amen. Let's pray together. Would you?
Father, we're thankful this morning that we, again, have the privilege of talking to you. And in our feeble attempts to get the words off of our lips, God, we, we believe and we imagine you to just be grateful that your children are praying and that you're listening and that you are concerned and you care about what's happening right now in the lives of each and every individual person in this space Father, we confess this morning that oftentimes we can look at passages like this and they can sort of just be lip service maybe or a little bit of going through the motions where we understand that it's something that we need to do. But I pray this morning that you'll help us to reevaluate ways that we can improve and grow and do better. And we're grateful for the ways that we already see this kind of culture here in this church family and we pray for in an increasing measure of that culture to be created. Where we're gathering on the side in a room, we're sharing, we're texting during the week, we're leaning on one another to pray for each other, knowing that this is the greatest weapon that we have, the greatest tool that we have. And we acknowledge, Father God, that we, we often fail to use it in the ways that we have available to us. So we pray that you'll come, you'll work among us. We want to be a church that lives with an awareness that when we work, that we are working, but when we pray, that you're working. Even if we don't see it or understand it or comprehend it, that we understand that you are faithful and good and you'll keep your promises to us to hear us and answer so that prayer will be effective. We love you, Father, and we're thankful to Jesus Christ through whom we pray this morning. And the church said, Amen. If you would stand with me this morning.